My Soul to Keep. The uh, inspiration from uh, or for the uh, new series comes from the uh, childhood prayer uh, that's been prayed for the last couple of hundred years, probably. Uh, Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. I admit I've never prayed that prayer as a child. Uh, We didn't go in that direction, but uh, uh, it's a good prayer to pray, uh, at least the part about my soul to keep. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. There's a slightly little longer, different version. I don't know, maybe uh, you have heard or maybe you've never heard this. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Bless the bed that I lay on. There are four corners to my bed for angels round my head, one to watch, one to pray, one to bear my soul away. I lay me down to sleep and pray the Lord my soul to keep. Guard me, Jesus, through the night and wake me in the morning light. Now, while this prayer has been around a long time for, for children to pray, it's, it's, it's kind of obvious why, uh, if you have small children, uh, if you can remember what it was like to have small children, if your children are now older and have grandchildren, you know how hard it is sometimes to get kids to go to sleep. Uh, they don't want to miss all the action. Uh, but there's also another element, and that is that uh, nighttime can sometimes be scary time. You know, the shadows on the wall, the things that go bump in the night, you know. And so I, I, I suppose that one of the reasons why uh, parents would want to teach their children uh, is because uh, they're being instructed in the fact that somebody's watching over them, that God is protecting them, that God is keeping them. Um, it may be that, I tried to find out the origin of, of this prayer, but uh, it's, like I said, it's at least a couple of hundred years old. The exact origin I'm not sure of, uh, but it's possible that it was uh, composed during a, a stressful time in, in society. Uh, could have been during the time of war. Could have been during a time of an uh, epidemic. Uh, urban legend has it that the uh, nursery rhyme, uh, what was the nursery rhyme? Oh, yeah, Ring Around the Rosie, uh, Pocket Full of Posy, uh, was, was composed during the bubonic plague. Uh, ashes, ashes, we all fall down. They burned, you know, bodies in the streets and whatever. Uh, not very... Uh, warming of a subject, but um, it's possible that, that it was out of the stressful time. And, and so, I mean, we can understand why, why uh, children need to be comforted. And I, I tell you what, it's a scary world. It's a scary world for adults. And uh, we never really outgrow uh, our need to be encouraged and comforted and, and, uh, and just uh, uh, encouraged by the Lord, you know. Uh, m- my parents used to have the saying, I guess you'd call it a, a proverb, uh, maybe it was uh, a little stronger in Italian, but uh, they, they used to say, small children, small problems. Uh, big children, big problems, big troubles. In other words, the older that we get, the, the, the greater the intensity are our problems or our difficulties. And so, and so the need, the obvious necessity for uh, for there to be continual encouragement and comfort. And uh, God, you know, does the same thing for us. He, he gives us the promises of his word that he's an ever-present help in time of trouble. And we have uh, exceeding great and 
precious promises. Uh, the Lord reminds us that we are the apple of his eye, that he never sleeps and he never slumbers, and that he's able to keep uh, those that uh, put their trust and their confidence in him. The word keep is an interesting word. It means to guard, to, to garrison, to protect, to preserve. The first time that the word is used in scripture uh, goes along the lines of uh, the law of first mention. The law of first mention is, is basically that the first time that a subject is brought up, there's generally a, uh, a running theme that runs throughout the, the rest of the word. So the first time that the word keep appears in scripture is in Genesis 2 and verse 5. It's when the Lord, I'm sorry, verse 15. It's when the Lord commissioned uh, Adam uh, to do two things. Number one, to till or to, to care for the garden. And, and number two, to keep it. Uh, and in the implication of that is that th- there was to be guarded and preserved and, and to be protected from a, a possible predator, uh, guard against possible loss. And so the Lord gave Adam a charge and a commission to, to keep the garden. And as we know, he didn't do a very good job, didn't turn out very well uh, for him and, and for us as well. And the dangers that we face on a daily basis, um, you know, they're real. They're real and they're present dangers. And, you know, if you think about what Jesus said, that, that uh, the whole world itself is not as valuable as one single soul. Jesus said it like this, what could a man give in exchange for his soul? What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? And then the second question Jesus asked, which is an obvious answer, or what could a man give in exchange for his soul? And there's absolutely nothing that he can give in exchange for his soul. And so with that in mind, my soul to keep is of great importance for us to to, to dive into and to discover this morning. One of the charges that we presently have is in Proverbs 4.23. It says, keep, that is to guard, to preserve, to protect your heart with all diligence for out of it springs the issues of life. And and that is a responsibility that has not, we've not been relieved from that responsibility. That is something that God requires of us to guard, to keep and to protect and to preserve our heart, for out of it are the issues of life. We're surrounded by enemies, both enemies that are without and enemies that are within. We have an adversary, you know, the scripture's been repeated so many times, who goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But we also have enemies from within, our our own souls, uh, or our own uh, old nature wars against us. There was a movie out a number of years ago, it was pretty popular, and I think the title was, was, was purposely chosen by the, the director or the movie makers to, to kind of shock and to kind of be provocative for the movie going public. It was called Sleeping with the Enemy. And it was a story about an abusive husband who uh, was abusing his wife and her quest for freedom from uh, the, the, the danger that he posed to her. Uh, I have got news for you. We're all sleeping with the enemy. And uh, it's not your spouse I'm talking about. It's, it's, it's you. Uh, it's, it's your old man. But Paul said, my old man has been crucified with Christ. My old nature, this, that, that sinful nature that, that wants to gain control over your, your, your sinful appetites. 
and express himself. And so the, the call to become a disciple of Christ is to, to, to put to death that, that part of our old nature, to reckon ourselves to be dead unto sin and alive unto God, to, to follow the, the, both the promises of God and the warnings that are in the word of God so that we, we walk out what God has worked into us with both fear and trembling. I, I think of the lyrics to the song Amazing Grace, or at least one of the verses it says, through many dangers, toils, and snares. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. And so th- there are many dangers, and, and there are lots of snares for us. Snares are entrapments of the enemy, temptations. Uh, the, the sense of condemnation that the enemy would you know, point his finger at us and accuse us of things in our past, things that have been forgiven, things that have been covered underneath the blood, but yet he brings it up in a... In, a, in an accusation that brings condemnation to our hearts. And yet God is, if our heart condemn us, God is, is greater than, than our hearts. And there are dangers that come from false teachings and from false doctrines and from, even from doctrines of demons, the Bible says. In Acts, the 20th chapter, the Apostle Paul gathered the elders of Ephesus. He was leaving them. He, he said, you're never going to see me again, but, but I, want, I, want to just, I want to give you this exhortation. Feed the flock of God, which he's purchased in his blood. And then he warned them. He said, when I leave, th- there will be ravenous wolves that will come in and they'll be dressed in sheep's clothing and they will not spare the flock of God. And even from among your own selves will arise teachers who will Endeavor to pervert the word of God, draw away disciples to themselves. So, so, so the dangers are real, the dangers are present, and it's important for us to realize that, that there's a vulnerability here for us. Let, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Don't be so self-confident in your own ability to stand and withstand the temptations and the, the, the snares and the... And the um, the fiery darts that come from the enemy. And, and so we, we've not been left without a defense. But, but I want you to know that, that one of the metaphors that God uses in Scripture to describe our vulnerability is not meant to belittle us, not meant to demean us, but it's a fact of our susceptibility. And, and, and the Scripture likens us to sheep. Not a very, you know, not one of your smartest animals in the ark, you know? Uh, sheep, they have this tendency of, of wandering. They have this tendency of not being able to care for themselves. Uh, of li- literally, they would eat themselves to death or th- they would drown by, by the way in which they would drink water if there was not a shepherd. And so the defense of the sheep is that they have a, de- that they have a shepherd, that our greatest defense would be that we would look to the one who is able to keep us, that we fix our eyes on the great shepherd of the sheep. And, and I want you to know that th- that is really one of our greatest resources, that God himself is our greatest resource to, to be able to uh, stand against all of the wiles of the enemy, to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. I want you to think about this. If, if Adam in a state of innocence and in a state or an environment of, of absolute sinlessness and, and, and a wonderful paradise, right? If Adam could not keep himself, then how could you and I keep ourselves in the midst of a sinful world, in the midst of enemies without and within 
unlike the garden of paradise. If the angels, the Bible says, who left their first place of habitation, if the angels who dwelt in a perfect heaven were drawn away in a rebellion against God, what makes you think that you and I can possibly keep ourselves from from falling? And the fact of the matter is, is that you and I can't. We can't, but there is someone who can keep us from falling. And that's the whole purpose of, of this prayer. It's my soul to keep. I've got to, I've got to fix my eyes. I've got to fix my heart upon the, the one who is able to keep me from falling. I mentioned some of these things to, to alert us because I, I believe that to be, you know, forewarned is to be forearmed. There, there, there's a proverb that, that, that also says something similar to that. It says, it says the, best, the best offense is a good defense. And so we, we need to be defensive in our posture when it comes to these dangers that are all around us, the, the, the dangers, toils, and the snares that would so easily entrap us. There's a, uh, an example in the New Testament that is probably uh, both uh, alarming and uh, attention-getting, uh, and, and it's contained in, in one person's name, and, and that person's name is Demas. And if you know the story of Demas, Paul mentions Demas three times in Scripture. He was a member of the apostolic staff, okay? Like a living word, he could have been a member of the staff. He was, he was a part of Paul's missionary team. I mean, could you imagine, you know, being the one that Paul, Paul dictates to to write a letter and then Paul signs his name to it? Could you imagine listening to Paul the Apostle, one of the greatest of all believers, preaching messages or, 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 or witnessing some of the miracles that were associated in the book of Acts with the Apostle Paul when a young man falls out of a window to his death and then Paul goes down, throws himself on the, on the young man's body and brings him back to life. And, and you witness all that. So the first two times that Demas is mentioned in scripture, it's just in passing. It's just Demas greets you. He, he sends his, his regards to, to those that were in the church that Paul was writing to. But the last time that Demas is mentioned, is frightening. And this is what it says. It says, Demas has forsaken me, having, having abandoned me, having, having gone to Thessalonica because he loved this present age. Demas, I mean, you know, where did that come from? Demas has been seduced by the love of this world. You know, if, if, if Timothy and, and, and Silas were, were probably hearing Paul say that for the first time, they probably would have said something like, man, I never saw that coming. That Demas, you know. And so I, I mentioned some of these things not to scare us, but so that we might be forearmed and that we might be having a good offense by having a good defense. So I believe that to know this, that we're vulnerable, to know, to know that each one of us is vulnerable to temptation, vulnerable to the attacks of the, of the enemy, is to be wise, is to be as, what Jesus did to be as wise as serpents and as, and as innocent or harmless as doves. You see, because I believe that the motivation behind this is so that we would cling to the only one who is able to keep us from falling the only one who was able to my soul to keep. So we come to 
uh, this great little book that we're going to look at a couple of verses in the book of Jude. When I, when I read the book of Jude, I mean, it's like, it's like th- th- there's a field of landmines in the book of Jude. And, and it's like almost reading a military manual on how to navigate safely through this field of explosives. And, and, and so Jude brings up a number of negative things that were taking place. And he gives warnings about certain men, creeps. I call them creeps because he says in one translation, they crept into the church. So they're creeps, right? Uh, he says they, they, they entered in unaware. They're false in, in their uh, desire to pervert the gospel. And so we're going to take a look at some of these verses. But I want you to know right up front, verse 1. You know, we have this, we have, we have the amazing key, really, and the, the thing that we need to bear in mind is that in the midst of all of these dangers, in the midst of dangers, toils, and snares, you know, we, we, we are not left without hope. We're not left without a Savior who is able to save unto the uttermost. So, so let's take a look at Jude, and it's only one chapter, and it's a little letter, uh, And it's verse 1. Judah's servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James. That's his introduction. To those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father, and are kept by Jesus Christ. Right there in in verse 1, we have the key to our security. We have the key to our comfort. We have the key to our encouragement. That we are, number one, we're called. If you're called, then the reason why you're called into the kingdom of God, Jesus said many are called, but few are chosen. If you are called into the kingdom of God, it is because, number two, you are loved by God the Father. Remember that Jesus did not die in order to make the Father love us. Jesus died because the Father loved us. And so because you are called, you are also loved. And because you are loved, because you are loved, you are kept, guarded, preserved, protected by none other than Jesus Christ, the shepherd of our soul, who is committed to keep what we have committed unto him against that day. Verse 2 says, mercy, peace, and love be yours In a small measure. No, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Now, now that's just not filler, you know. It's not just, you know, here's a salutation, here's a greeting, and let's get to the... No, no, no. This is our inheritance. This is what we possess in Christ. We possess mercy. God's not ordained that we should obtain wrath, but that we should receive mercy. And you know what? It's, it's, it's my knowledge of the mercy of God, my experiential knowledge of the mercy of God that keeps me coming to him even when I stumble and when I fall. And it's his peace that keeps my heart when there's shadows in the night and there's things that go bump in the night. It's his peace that passes understanding. It's, his, it's the God of peace who is present with me. That is such a blessing. It's our inheritance. It's what he has bequeathed to us. And so if you're not enjoying peace this morning, somebody is cheating you out of your inheritance. And it's because you are loved. 
So he says in verse 3, Beloved, remember that's the same name by which God calls his son. This is my beloved son. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share. You see, I, I, I think what, what, what Jude is saying here in that, in that sentence is, I really wanted to talk to you about something else. I really wanted to talk to you about positive things, about things that will build you up and things that will encourage you. But, but out of necessity, he says, he says, I felt I had to write and urge you because this is urgency. This is, this is really serious. The dangers that we face are, 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 are present and they're real. He said, I had to write to you to urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. That is, the, the saints, where the saints, the truth, the, the faith that was entrusted. First of all, the word contend, there is a strong word. It means, it means to, to, to physically, to force, forcibly, to fight for the gospel and, and the word the word faith that is being used here is not is not the the word that we use for believing it's it's the the, the body of the the whole counsel of god it's it's the gospel and so jude is saying that we need to contend for the gospel there, there's there's no way that we can compromise on the gospel that has been delivered to us that we must stand and contend for it because he says in verse 4 certain men whose condemnation was written a long time ago have secretly slipped in among you they are godless men who change the grace of god into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Certain men have crept in. When the devil sought to destroy the church through persecution, the church, what happened? It grew. It multiplied. But when the enemy of our souls sought to join the church, he sought to pervert it from the inside. I mean, there's a reason why they called it the dark ages. Because... Because the enemy sowed tares among the wheat. And as a result of that, great was the damage. And so he says these godless men changed the grace of God. The, the, most are familiar with the word lasciviousness. The, the word lasciviousness, it, it, this is a good translation. It is a license to sin. In other words, they were teaching, they were instructing. It's okay, live any way you want in the flesh because it doesn't really matter because of the grace of God. Because, because of the grace of God, we can sin with immunity. We can sin and, and it's okay because God forgives us. Rather than teaching that by the grace of God, the grace of God teaches us to be free from the power of sin. The grace of God instructs us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires. And so they were attempting to pervert the truth of the gospel. And so Jude cites a couple of examples. I don't have the time to go through them all. He mentions Cain, who went the way of Cain, and also mentions Balaam out of the Old Testament. And also he mentions Korah, who, who led the children of Israel in a rebellion in the wilderness. And, and, and these three are mentioned that, that these Spirits, the spirits of these men are also leading men in rebellion and leading away from the way 
of God. And so he says in verse 12, these men are blemishes at your love feast. In other words, when you're gathering together for community, they're eating with you without even the slightest qualm. Shepherds who only feed themselves, they are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, trees without fruit, uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom the blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Jude, please tell me how you really feel. You know, I tell you why Jude could never be accused of being PC, politically correct, or of being seeker friendly. You know, Jude is going to tell it the way it is because, because the souls, the souls of men are at stake. What is so important? If a man can't give the world in exchange for his soul, then how important is your soul and my soul to God? Remember that in the midst of all this, remember the first verse, that to those whom God's called, to those whom God has also loved, he's also kept by the power of Jesus. And, 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 and the way really that that Jude is going to end this letter, having, having brought us safely through this minefield of explosives, he, 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 just, he bursts into this unabashed praise for Jesus. And I want you to look at this at the end of the letter. He says in verse 24, he says, Now to him, that is to Jesus, who is able to keep you from falling, and to present you before his glorious presence without fault, with exceeding joy. And then he bursts into in that 25th verse of praise to Jesus, of glory and majesty and power and authority for now and forevermore for Jesus. You know, he, I mean, he is, he is, he, this is called the doxology, but, but, but simply put, it is, it is the spirit that, it, that cannot contain the the amount of praise that we offer to the one who is able to keep us from falling. And see, what, what, what this verse really, what Jude is taking us to is, is to draw us behind the screen of this life and, and into the very presence of eternity where he is able to present us without fault for eternity, without blemish, without, without wrinkle, without spot. We, we are faultless before his presence and that brings Exceeding joy to us. Who is competent for my soul to keep? Jesus is competent. I, I, I love this quote from Sam Storms. He says, The basis for our security and salvation is not ultimately our righteousness or obedience, but God's promise, God's power, God's purpose. And most of all, God's passionate love for us in Christ. I love that his passionate love for us in Christ. If if you're not feeling, enjoying, living in the love of Jesus Christ this morning, it's probably because you are living in your emotions. You're living in the circumstances that kind of dictate your emotions. And you go up and you go down, and you go up and you go down. We've got a thermostat on the back wall that's programmable. Uh, We programmed it to be at a certain temperature by this time today. But there's also a button on there called the hold button. 
It prevents it from going up and it prevents it from going down. It will stay that temperature when we put it on hold. I I believe that there needs to be a hold button for us. That we won't be up and down. We won't be moody. We won't be emotional. And I believe it is, it is when we, we fix our hearts upon the fixed word of God that does not change. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word, his promises, that is what we must bank upon. And, that, and that's why we can be unshakable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Remember what he said. Proverbs 4.23, guard your hearts, keep your hearts with all diligence for out of the issues of life. Did I read the whole thing? I think I stopped in the middle of that. This is is what Sam Storms completed the sentence. He says, God is committed to preserving us in faith for if we were to stumble as so to fully and finally fall away, God stands more to lose than we do. That is an amazing statement. And what I, what I think he means by that is that if we were to fall away after God has promised to save us, then God's reputation would be at stake. His character would be diminished and tarnished. And that is not going to happen. So our lives are hid with Christ in God and we are secure in him. We are kept by the power of God. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have a responsibility Because Proverbs 4.23 says that we do have a responsibility to keep our hearts, to guard our hearts with all diligence, that is carefulness. But what I want you to know is that there is a key to our understanding even of what it means to keep your heart with all diligence. And Jude, I believe, gives us the answer to that as well. Uh, in my Bible, it has under a heading, and then the next two verses that come after that, it's, the heading is, maintain your life in God. Maintain your life in God. You didn't produce your life in God. You, you, you certainly can't keep your life in God by yourself, but you can maintain your life in God. The word maintain means to sustain, to continue, to retain your life. In other words, to walk out what God has worked into you. And this is the way in which we do this. He says this in verse 20. But you, right? All of these explosives, right? We've just passed through them. All of these minefields. But you, he says, beloved, build yourselves up in the most holy faith. You build yourself up. In the faith, the word that faith that is being used here again is not my believing faith. It is, it is the whole counsel of God. It's the gospel. So build yourselves up in the most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves, verse 21, in God's love as you wait for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Let me start with the last phrase in that. As you wait for the mercy, that is expectation, that is hope, that is for me to live my life with the anticipation that that I will obtain mercy. I am looking unto God for mercy, not for wrath. And then he says this, build yourselves up in the gospel, love the gospel, know the gospel. And most of all, listen, preach the gospel. Preach the gospel to yourself. 
I said this before not too long ago. The best sermon you will ever hear won't come from me and it won't come from Doug and it won't come from men, but the best sermon you will ever hear is the sermon you preach to your own heart. When things go bump in the night and there's shadows of darkness that are crowding all around you, the best sermon you will ever preach is the one that you preach to yourself. When the enemy points his finger of accusation at you and you, and you pull out your sermon, there is now therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. You begin to put the enemy to flight. When the enemy says, yeah, if you really were a child of God, change your circumstances, and you begin to pull out the gospel, which says that you have the witness of God by the Spirit of God, that you're a child of God, and if a child of God, then you're an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ. There is now, therefore, no condemnation. All your accusations fall to the, they, they, they fall off me. They can't stick. You know, when David was um, in a tight situation, when, when all of David's men, the Bible says, because they were grieved because of the loss of their wives and their children, they were speaking about stoning David. The, the response that David had was to encourage himself in the Lord. How did David encourage himself in the Lord? Well, I think we've got to read between the lines. I think that David, if we look at David in the Psalms, David often spoke to himself. He said in one place, bless the Lord, all my soul, and all that's within me. Forget none of his benefits. And then he lists about seven different ways in which God has blessed him and enlarged him, and not only him, but also us. He said, he said why are you so downcast, O oh my soul? Put your hope in God. David preached to himself. And we need to take the promises of God and the promises that we've had prophetically over our life, and we need to speak them to ourselves, remind our hearts of them. I believe that preaching it, to ourselves is one of the most effective weapons that we have in addition to the fact, and this is most important, that he says, keep yourself, keep yourself. The way in which I can keep my heart is by keeping myself in the love of God. I mean, I, I really, I know that I know that I'm loved of God. If it wasn't for the love of God, I would have fallen away a long time ago if it wasn't for the unconditional love of God. So I know that I'm not going to be moved from that. I'm not going to be moved by my circumstances and I'm not going to be moved by my outward conditions. I'm only going to be moved by the word of God. And the word of God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. An everlasting love means it has no beginning and has no end. There's, there, is, there is nothing that I did that deserves the love of God. Therefore, there is nothing that I could possibly do that would, that would cause me to not receive the love of God. It works both ways. And so Jesus, for me, is not only competent, but Jesus is magnanimous. He's not only, he's not only good because he wants to keep me, He's gracious in his ability to keep me. He's limitless in his ability. And so I have confidence. And this is what I want you to walk away with this morning. My soul to keep is completely based upon the ability of the Son of God. My soul to keep is completely based upon the ability of the Son of God. Now, my responsibility, we'll kind of recap that, is to build myself up in the gospel, to love the gospel, 
to preach the gospel to myself, to keep myself in the love of God, to be wise, to, to know that th- there's a vulnerability for, for my soul and your soul, that, that we're not going to think that we stand simply in our own strength. That, but if we're going to be strong at all, it's got to be because we're strong in the Lord and the power of his might, not our own. And that we need to contend for the gospel. Uh, I quoted from Amazing Grace. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. The next line is, was grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will bring me home. It's grace. It's the grace of God that provided a Savior in the first place. The Bible says the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ, and we have all received of his grace. Grace heaped upon grace. Grace. It's the gospel of grace and love the grace of God. It is, it is the grace of God that will bring us home. Uh, Jude mentions Cain. I said a little while ago. He says they've gone the way of Cain. And, and Cain is an example to us. Cain committed the first murder. He rose up against his his brother Abel, and he killed his brother Abel. And the Bible says that the blood of Abel cried out from the ground to God, that God was aware of what was happening. God was aware of what was going to happen before it happened. And, and he said, your brother's blood cries out from the ground. He says, where is your brother Abel? And Cain sarcastically said, how do I know where, how do I know where he is? Am I my brother's keeper? And in that moment, thousands of years ago, in the heart of Jesus, there was a leaping in the heart of the Son of God who said, I will become my brother's keeper. And the blood of Jesus, the writer of Hebrews says, speaks of better things than that of Abel's blood. Abel's blood cries out for vengeance and for justice. But the blood of Jesus speaks of better things, of mercy and love, incredible love. So build yourselves up in the most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Pray, pray with a dependency upon the Holy Spirit. Pray, pray in the Spirit. Pray with your understanding. Pray because the Holy Spirit sometimes, well, he always knows how to pray according to the will of God. We don't always know how to pray but he prays and intercedes for us. I am dependent upon the Spirit of God as you are to lead us, to guide us. And he's not left us orphans. He's not left us without, in the, in the, midst, of, in the midst of all this danger, he cares for us and provides for us my soul to keep. At the end of a message like this, what do we need? What do we need to, to do to leave here? I think the heart's cry ought to be, man, I got I to gotta know this Jesus more. I, gotta, I have to have a greater understanding, a greater revelation of this Jesus. So let's pray. Like a mighty storm stirred within my soul. Like a rushing wind, Jesus, breathe within. Lord, have your way. Lord, have your way.
There are those in the book of Jude that he mentions that deny the only Lord and Savior. They acknowledged Jesus with their lips, but they did not honor him in his lordship. So, Father, we, we, we are not like that. We, we want to honor the Son of God this morning with our hearts and with our lives. And that's our prayer this morning, God, that we would learn of you, that you would reveal to us the Son of God in a greater dimension, that we, that we want to know you, Lord, so that we might surrender all to you, that we might submit to you in the fear and in the admonition of the Lord to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus. That's our heart's passion, oh God, Lord, here in this place. So as we, as we just come to this place, Lord God, I, I pray that you would just light a fire in us, light a passion in us, that, that we would be as passionate about serving you as you are passionate about loving us.